Philippians chapter 4 this evening, the book of Philippians in the fourth chapter, and we're continuing our series on seasons of life. We've looked at various seasons in which we may go through a season being a period of time in which we're going through whether it be a trial, a loss, uh, difficulty, and there's seasons. Ecclesiastes is where we base that off of, and there's a, a time for laughing and a time for rejoicing, a time for weeping, a time of gain and a time of loss. And, and so tonight I want us to look at this matter of a season of financial stress. Um, probably not anyone in here has ever experienced anything like that, but there may come a time where you've had have a season of pressure that comes from the, the financial realm of things, not having enough, and, and maybe other burdens that roll out of that, and the Bible speaks to that. And so I'd like for us to look tonight at this particular passage, and there are many. In fact, the Lord Jesus spent a lot of time talking about the matter of giving, because it affects so much one's heart. Ultimately, God's not about your money, He's about your heart. It's just, you don't know this, you didn't learn this in anatomy, but your heart's connected to your wallet. And so, the Bible speaks much about that. And so, Philippians chapter 4, out of respect for the Bible, let's stand together. Let's pick up our reading in verse number 11. Paul writes, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Notwithstanding ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity. Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all. And abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now unto God. And our Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Salute every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren which are with me greet you. All the saints salute you, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Let's look tonight at the season of financial stress. Somebody asked, Pastor, do you ever have problems, troubles? Do you ever have pressures, burdens? Do you ever have trials? 
My answer is on two different occasions. One, when I'm asleep, and the other, when I'm awake. And that was the case with the Apostle Paul. No one in this room, I dare say, has ever experienced the trial, the pressure, the immense burden that the Apostle Paul himself went through. Not only is his life an authority in helping us in this matter, but the Word of God is the authority that the Holy Spirit wrote to us through the Apostle Paul. And so tonight, let's take a look at this, which will make a I believe a help and encouragement, I hope, and it's my prayer and a difference in our life when we're going through a season of financial stress. Thank you. Please be seated. The simplicity, if I were to take chapter four and say what the, the gist of this passage would be, it would be dealing with the sufficiency, the all-sufficiency of Jesus Christ. And as we talk about God's sufficiency during times of financial stress and pressure, I want you to consider a couple things with me and and we're going to break those down into some smaller components, but we're looking at verse number 9, excuse me, 19 when Paul says, "But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. The first thing I want you to note with me is that there's a promise here that is to be attain, obtained. He wants you to obtain a promise. If you want to survive these days in which we live where costs are continuing to rise, where it seems difficult to make ends meet when most homes, if there are two spouses, they're both working trying to provide and, and meet the needs of the family, if you're going to get beyond surviving to succeeding and thriving, you're going to have to rest, recognize this is a valuable promise, but its value is only in regards to you obtaining it. You can receive the largest check ever written that's good, but it will do you no good as long as you put it in a frame and hang it on the wall. And this is, a, this is a Mount Everest promise in the Bible. But you're going to have to obtain it. Whatever you need, Paul's trying to get across, God can meet that need. Whatever you need, God can meet that need. Every problem that you confront, God has a promise that you can claim. As a Christian, when it comes to financial stress and pressure, as a child of God, not as a religious person. You can be here in church and experience religiosity. That doesn't make you a child of God. What makes you a child of God is whether or not you've experienced the new birth. That new birth gives every child of Almighty God a certain edge. In other words, you have a benefit that non-Christians and even religious people don't have. You have, as a child of God, a promise from God, but you still have to obtain it. You still have to appropriate it. I want you to see this promise, the scope of the promise. He says in verse 19, my God shall supply all your needs. All your needs. Not just some, not most, but all of your needs. 
That would include financial needs, would it not? It falls under all. That would include material needs, would it not? This is going to go a lot longer if you don't pick it up with, here with me, all right? This would include emotional needs. This would include social needs. It's just whatever the needs might be. Jesus taught more on the subject of giving and money than perhaps any other subject. And it's because he knew that whatever the culture that you live in, you would be in some kind of a time of financial stress. You know that there are those who have all the money that they could ever want and they're still under financial burdens and weights because the more you have, the more responsibility. In other words, this is not just for those who are poor, but Jesus dealt a lot with people who were poor. He himself would have been considered in poverty, humanly speaking. But God has chosen finances as one of the ways to teach us to trust Him. That's the greatest need that we all have. You have financial needs, you have material needs, you have physical needs, you might. You might go through a season of those. But we will always have a lifetime need of God helping us in the faith department. Because without faith, Hebrews 11 says, it's impossible to please God. No one is saved apart from faith. Faith is not understanding who he is. It is getting in the boat. It is stepping into dependence upon God. You can stand there on the tarmac of Atlanta airport and say, I believe that plane can carry me. But you're not really exercising faith until you get in that plane. You can say all you want to. I believe Jesus is God and God's the way. I believe in salvation according to the Bible. But you are not appropriating that the Bible way until you take it to be yours. And so God wants to meet your need. God wants to meet every single need that you have. Every single need that you have. Not most of them, not some of them, some of the time. Every need you have all the time, God always wants to meet that. And that's what the Bible here says. And so this is the promise that we're to take. This is the promise that can impact our life on a daily, regular basis. Now, someone's going to say, well, wait a minute. If God's going to meet all my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus, why hasn't he done it? Why am I in a time of financial stress? Well, maybe one reason is that you're not seeing what you need to be seeing. Maybe you're calling what you need something else and calling what you want to be a need. In other words, we're not seeing what God is wanting to accomplish in our life as long as we're looking at this verse to mean that God has promised to meet all my greed. God never said he's going to give you everything you want. He did say he'll give you everything you need. Well, notice the promise. But my God shall supply all your, what's the word? He says that I'll meet all your needs. And what is it that is a need? How would I define a need? Well, here's how I define need. A need is something absolutely necessary for us to live. 
A need is something that we absolutely must have. It's not our want, it's our need. For example, I've been on this end of people who have legitimate needs in our community and society and they'll come and they'll ask for money. And usually I will ask them, have you asked your church? Our responsibility as a church family is to tend to our church family. Have you gone to your church family? And usually I know the answer. The reason they're here is because they don't have one. But they need one. By the way, three things everybody needs. One, you need a personal relationship with the Lord. No one else can have your relationship with the Lord. Number two, you need a church family. Number three, you need a pastor. But there will be people who come and say, I really need help. And I'll listen to the story. Everything, everything they're losing. They're losing everything. And we have on occasion, I remember one in particular, where we allowed for a, a family to get food from a, a grocery store and but we had specifications. They could get no alcohol. They could get no tobacco. By the way, if they're losing everything, that's not really what they need. And so we gave them an amount. We communicated with the store. And they went down and they stocked up on alcohol and cigarettes. And they got to the register and the cashier let them know, here's the qualification. You can get anything else, but you can't get that. And you know what they did? They walked out without anything. Why? Because they expected us and God to meet their greed, not to meet their need. You remember the rich man, the Bible calls him in Luke chapter 16. We're not given his name, but we're told he was rich. He died and went to hell. He didn't go to hell because he was rich. He went to hell the same way everybody goes to hell. And that is because he didn't put his faith in Jesus to be his savior. But the Bible says he went to hell and he lifted up his eyes, the Bible says, being in torment. And he cried out, seeing Abraham at a distance, and he cried out and he asked, could someone just give me a little bit of the riches that I once had? That's not what he cried for. You know what he cried for? He didn't even ask for a drop of water. He said, could someone put their finger in water and touch my tongue and for I am tormented in this flame. Here is a rich man who didn't ask for his riches. He asked for what he was in need of in hell. You know, the worst thing about going to hell is not the pain, not the torment, not the burning alive, but never able to die. But it's being separated from the God who loves you. And forfeiting wonderful, beautiful promises just like this. See, God goes beyond giving us, however, our needs. He does go and he spoils us. And God gives us many things. He's a loving father. But I want you to understand the, the scope of the promises. All your needs. All of them. Well, I, I don't really matter. If you're breathing, you matter to God all of your needs. I want you to see the second thing and that is the source of this promise. My God shall supply all your needs. What does Paul say? My God. My God shall supply all your needs. Now if someone we know promised to meet all of our needs, if someone says, I'm, I'm going to write you a check. Let's say I come to you tonight. 
there is somebody who has offered to write you a check for $500,000, what would you do? Now, if it were me, my next question would be, who is it? Yeah. It would make a difference, would it not? Because if they said your good friend, Captain LeBee, said he'd write a check for $500,000, then I'd say, I'm going to go get some coffee. <laughs> no matter how good of a friend he is, well, I shouldn't say he ain't got it. He may have it. And I don't know anything about it, but. But, but whoever that person is makes a difference. Paul didn't say the church is going to be able to meet your need because this church could not have met that kind of a need and other churches were not able. Paul says the source of this promise is my God. My God shall supply all of your need. It says, notice how the verse opens up. But my God, but God. He's the God who made you. He's the God who owns you. He's the God who put you together. He's the God who knows all about you. He's the God who Philippians 4.13 says can do all things. Therefore, God can meet all of my needs. God can meet all of your needs. God himself is the source of this promise. This promise is rooted in the very character and the nature of God. That's why in our worship time on Sunday, we are looking at attributes. We're looking at characteristics of this great, almighty, and powerful God. Listen, you want to dabble with religion to make yourself feel good. Religion will take you to hell just as fast as the devil will. And a lot of times religion is just like the Wizard of Oz. Oh, it can boast of a lot of things, but when you look behind that curtain, you find it's just some simple man who is boasting of some things that'll make you feel good. But if you, if you, if you could just look behind the curtain of God, you'll find it's God Almighty behind the curtain. It's God Almighty on top of the curtain. It's God Almighty underneath and in front of. And he's the God who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He had no beginning. He has no end. Nothing is too hard for God. He's the God of the impossible. That's the source of this wonderful promise. God is a giving God. He's a need meeting God. He's a generous, loving, and caring God. He says he'll supply. But my God shall supply. You see the word supply? It means to fill up something that is empty. You have some empty areas in your life. God has promised to fill it up, fill it up. It's the same word that is used in John 12 and verse 3 when Mary took that ointment, that oil, and washed the feet of Jesus. The Bible says the house was filled with that fragrance of the oil. When Paul says, my God shall supply all your need, he's saying that whatever the emptiness might be, Whatever the emptiness in your life might be, God is the one who will meet it. See, when you were born, God is the one who made you. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. If you, if you want to understand the rest of the Bible, you've got to start where God starts. Genesis 1 and verse 1, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created. And the Bible tells us in Genesis 1, verse 27, God created man out of the dust of the ground, and he breathed into man the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And when God created you, he created you with a hole in your soul. And only God can fill it. 
and he's promised to supply and fill that emptiness up with what? Himself. Whatever the need is, God will meet it. If you need forgiveness tonight, God will fill that. If you have a hole for salvation, God will fill that. If you need guidance, God will meet that. If you need freedom from drugs and pornography, God can meet that. There's nothing beyond the reach of God to meet. Think about the nation of Israel. For 40 years, they wandered around in the wilderness. It's estimated that there were somewhere between a half a million to two and a half million people that were involved. And you think about the food. You think about the shoes that had to be supplied. And yet throughout those 40 years, their shoes never wore out and they never got hungry. Now let me ask you a question. Don't you think that if God can supply the physical, the spiritual, and the emotional needs of two and a half million wandering Jews for 40 years, He can supply your needs this week? What a promise. But my God shall supply all your needs. Warren Wiersbe says, if we were to paraphrase this verse, it would sound like this. Paul is saying to this church that gave to him, you met my need and God's going to meet your need. You met one need that I have, but my God will meet all your needs. You gave out of your poverty, but God will supply your needs out of his riches and glory. Notice this promise, God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. This means that he blesses us, listen, not out of his riches. He blesses us according to his riches. And that's a huge difference. His giving to us would be relative to the immensity of his eternal wealth. In other words, he's not giving us $5 out of his riches. He's supplying all of our need according to his limitless riches. That's huge. Put it down. Whatever emptiness there is in your life, Jesus can fill it. Ephesians 3, verse 20, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding and abundantly above all that we could ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. That's a promise from God. And if the promises of God fails, then nothing is certain. And yet he cannot fail because he's God. I like the song that says, Got any rivers you think are uncrossable? Got any mountains you cannot tunnel through? Well, God specializes in things thought impossible. He does those things that no one else can do. Now, in the margin of D.L. Moody's Bible, beside Philippians 4.19, Moody wrote this, the Christian's bank note. He says, the president of the bank, my God. The promise to pay, shall supply the amount all your need the capital of the bank according to his riches and glory and the cashier's name Jesus Christ so you say now if God will meet my need and I look at my need and it's not being met then something must be wrong well it leads us to a second thought Not only is there a promise to obtain, but I want you to see number two, there's 
some principles that need to be observed. Some principles that need to be observed. Now, again, verse 19 is one of the most wonderful promises in the Bible. And you've got to keep this promise in its context. Too often, what people do is we pull verses out of the Bible like it's a fortune cookie. Well, you know, the Bible promises God will meet all my need. Well, it is a promise. But every promise has a condition to it. And therefore, you have to understand the context. Now, the previous verses talk about giving and God's people sharing to meet other people's needs for the cause of Jesus Christ. Paul is saying to this church, they gave to his need. God used these people, this church in Philippi, to meet his need and the needs of others. And now God is going to meet all of their needs. So you cannot claim the promise of verse 19 until you live the beauty of the process of chapter 4 of giving and sacrificing for the cause of Jesus Christ. Give to meet others' needs, verse 19 is teaching us, and God promises to meet all of your need. Live out the beauty of giving so you can claim the promise of God giving to you. My God shall supply all your need. Now let's break down the promise and see certain elements of this. Because with every promise, again, there's a premise, there's a condition. So I want you to see what he's emphasizing here. Certain conditions must be met. For instance, you cannot spend all your money down at the racetrack and expect God, because Philippians 4.19 is there, to meet your needs. You can't just pluck that verse out and, and say, that's what he says. Well, that is what he says. But he ain't the one you're talking about. But God shall supply all of your need. Who's the your? The ones who are seeking God, serving God, and sacrificing for the cause of Jesus Christ. See, God, remember, is all about a process. Jesus said to the disciples before they were ever disciples, before they were even believers, Jesus said, follow me. What did that mean? It means that they needed to get saved. They did. And they needed to follow Jesus. He didn't say, follow me, sign the line. Let me give you your discipleship ID card. No, follow me has a start date and it has no expiration until you get to heaven. Because it's a process of living, experiencing God. Remember we say that it's relationship over religion. God is about this matter of a relationship. And God is saying, what I want for you is our theme. Experience God. And when you're about the matter of what God is about and you prioritize in your life what God prioritizes for your life experiencing God, you can claim this promise. You say, well, that sounds like that's an impossible. That's one of those, 
um, fine print thing. That's impossible. No, it's not impossible. It is possible. He wouldn't have put it there. He didn't ask you to be perfect. He just asked you to be about him. And when that happens, this promise is all yours. So let's look at a few things regarding this promise, some principles. Number one, I want you to see the principle of claiming. What I mean by that is you need to ask God for help. You need to ask him. God's promises have to be claimed. God said to Joshua, the children of Israel, the promised land is yours. But you know what they had to go do? They had to go claim it. They had to fight some enemies. They had to clear out the land. They had to claim it. It, this promise is there for you, but you've got to claim it. Let me ask you a question. Have you asked God to help you with your financial need, your material need, your emotional need? Have you asked God? And many times Christians have been taught to be so independent, and there's a sense in where that's good because the Bible does teach if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. Welfare system was not given to us by God. That is somebody who's wanting to control a a people. God says, I want to liberate you. I want to teach you how you can find freedom instead of bondage. And so there's a sense in where being self-driven is good, but, but what he's telling us is we still need to be dependent upon God. We need to ask. Listen, Satan cannot keep God from meeting your need. Satan cannot keep God from meeting your need. But here's what Satan will do. He will keep you from asking. James 4 and verse 2, you have not because you. Matthew 6 verse 11, Jesus said we ought to pray this way. Give us this day our daily bread. Matthew 7 and verse 7, Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. John 14 verse 13 and 14, Whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, Jesus said, That will I do, that the Father may be glorified of the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, Jesus said, I will do it. James 1 and verse 5, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not and it shall be given him. See, one of the problems in our culture is we trust credit rather than Christ. In other words, we pay before we pray. Before you charge that thing, have you stopped to pray about it? I mean, get serious, unashamed about praying. See, the only thing worse than unanswered prayer would be unoffered prayer. There are some miracles that I believe God wants to do in all of our lives, but they will never happen because we don't give God the opportunity because we don't ask. Why does God want to supply your need anyway? Why would he want to? Well, John 16, 24 says, Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name. So he says, Ask, and ye shall receive that your joy may be full. He doesn't just want to meet your need. He wants you to experience God. He wants you to have joy, overflowing joy. Ask God to meet that particular need. Ask God to meet the need of the finances 
Ask God to meet the need of the material hole in your life. God invites us to ask because he wants your joy to be full. There, here's a second principle, not only the principle of claiming, but there's also the principle of contentment. Contentment. Notice in verse number 11, Paul says, Now, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. See, contentment is not complacency. It's not a false peace based on ignorance. The complacent Christian is unconcerned about others, while the contented Christian wants to share their blessings. See, contentment is not escape from the battle, but rather it's an abiding peace and confidence in the battle. You see that? Contentment. Now, two words in that verse are vitally important in verse 11. Learned and content. Learned and content. Learn means learn, learn by experience. See, Paul's spiritual contentment was not something he got when he got saved. Paul had to go through trial and testing class. Paul had to go through persecution and hardships. He had to go through many difficulties and experiences to learn how to be content. Now the word content, it actually means contained. It doesn't mean you're not to have goals. It doesn't mean you're not to set financial goals or, or, or business goals. It doesn't mean you're not to have ambition. Contentment means learning to be happy in any circumstance. Any. Contentment is when you're not dependent upon your circumstances to have joy in your life because circumstances will always change. Now listen, this describes the man whose resources are within him so he does not have to depend upon substitutes without. And because Christ lives within us, we are, we have every reason to be content. We have every containment we could possibly have. The songwriter wrote, when I got saved, heaven came down and glory filled my soul. What more do we need? In this chapter, Paul makes some wonderful spiritual resources, emphasizes these things as being adequate to help give us contentment. He says in verse 12, you can be content wherever God has placed you. You know, for some, the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. And that's only because you're not close enough to see the dirt. When you get to it, you're looking for another place. He says in verse 12, be content wherever God's placed you. Verse 13, you can be content by God's power to enable you. Verse 14 and 15 and verse 18, he's teaching them, you can be content through the church that ministers to you. And that's the context. I don't have time to go into that. So he's saying, learn to be content. I learned to be content. Learn to be content. See, the myth is that if you get that car, if you get that house, you get that television, you get that phone, or whatever, 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 
you're going to be content and happy. Now here's how you can tell whether or not you've learned to be content or you're needing still for God to teach you as he had to teach Paul to be content. It's what someone called when and then thinking. When and then thinking. When I get this new car, then I'll be happy. When I'm in that situation and status of life, then I'll be happy. And what happens now? Uh, you're just trying to get by. See, contentment is living in the now. Being happy in the now. See, too many people go through life thinking that if they could live some other place, have some other job, go to some other church, they'd be content. A man asked Socrates why one of his friends was so unhappy. Socrates answered, the trouble with that man is that he takes himself with him wherever he goes. Now, why is it that things, we always say it, things won't satisfy they might for a little bit, but they won't satisfy. In other words, they might make you happy, but they're not going to bring you joy. They can't sa- Why is it that things don't satisfy? I say all the time they don't, but I've never really said as to why. Why is it that things don't satisfy? Here's the answer. It's because things don't change, but people do. You know that bedspread you got a couple years ago you thought was so wonderful? Now it's out of date. What happened is you changed, the bedspread didn't. You changed, but your outfit didn't. You've changed. Things don't change, people change. So things can never make you happy. We're happy for the moment, happy until the new model comes out. We're happy until the new wears off, but then we're no longer happy. And if you have the when and then thinking, then you've not learned the secret of contentment. See, the secret of contentment is learning this. Watch it. Listen. We don't own anything. God owns everything. God's loaned whatever you, whatever you have, God's loaned it to you. It's been said, whatever you have, you're not taking it with you when you die. Billy Sunday said it's a good thing because where some people are going, it's going to melt. <laughs> wasn't really a good place to interject that, but it crossed my mind. Everything you have, you'll leave it behind and somebody else will manage it. See, the secret of contentment is recognizing that God is the owner, we're the manager, and God's just entrusting you to be a steward and a manager of whatever it is you have. Let me give you another principle. It's the principle of consistency. Now, Nothing I say maybe will be as important than what I'm saying in these next few moments. A matter of consistency. Galatians 6, 9 and other passages give us this principle. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Many people get convinced about the need to give. That's the context here. They gave to Paul, and Paul said, the only way I can possibly meet your need is not through my resources, but God. 
and you've met the criteria of putting God as the uh, priority of your life and seeking the, the furtherance of the cause of Christ, and he will supply your need. So many times people are convicted about the need to give. They give, and their attitude is this. You know, I'm going to give to this financial need of the church. I'm going to give to the building program and you know, I'm going to give to, to help the, the young kids get off to camp. I'm, I'm going to tithe, and, and I know that God is going to multiply it back to me. And so they tithe, and they begin to give, and they really sacrifice. And then they look at their life um, 30 days later, and their bank, bank account 30 days later is not better than what it was before they Parted with the money. And they say, now wait a minute. God said, if I would sow, I would reap. And, if, and I've sown, I've been obedient to God, and I've given. And yet God has not met my need. Well, wait a minute. When we've only been doing it for a month, who agreed to that time scale? Who said God's trying to grow a blade of grass? You're not God. God's trying to grow perhaps you into an oak tree. Well, I don't want to be an oak tree. You're not God. So shut up. That's in the Greek. I'll get this another lesson another time. And God says, if you give me the first tenth of all you make, I'll open the windows of heaven, pour out a blessing so great there will not be room enough to receive it. And yet some people try it one time. And they come in and say, I don't know why God didn't do what he promised to do. Well, he is. He promised to meet your need. And your great need in this hour is to learn to be a consistent, walking with God, child of God. What kind of marriage would you have if you're faithful one day out of seven. What kind of children would you have if they're obedient just a few hours out of the week? You say, I'd take that any day. You're not the standard setter when it comes to what God does with His promises. God is trying to develop a consistency, not a perfection, but a consistency of experiencing Him. See, the principle of consistency, it has to do with the law of sowing and reaping. You reap what you sow. That's the law of the harvest. It's the law of nature. It always happens later. I often say that God's not as concerned about what time it is as he is about timing. In his time. He's working it out. He, he, he's, he's in no hurry. He's God. He's right on time. I don't know why he's doing this. I'll tell you why. It's called a relationship. He's trying to get you to get your eyes off of something and put it on someone. He's God. He's trying to get you to want the giver more than you want the gift. Let me give you another principle here. It's the principle of commitment. Commitment. This church was a committed church. Matthew 6, 32, Jesus said, For your heavenly Father knoweth what ye have need of all 
these things. And so what do you do? Verse 33 of Matthew chapter 6. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. We have on, engraved on our money in God. What is it? But we have written on our hearts, me first. And what God is always trying to get us to do is seek Him first. He's not to be your last resource. He ought to be our only source. Missionary Hudson Taylor said, When God's work is done God's way for God's glory, it will not lack for God's supply. Does God want you to give 10% because He needs your money? Well, does He? No. God doesn't need your money. God can finance His work any way that He chooses. This is just the way God has chosen to do it. It's not because God needs you. It's because He knows you need Him. And this is God's way of growing you, maturing you, building you up. This is God's way of showing you how much He loves you. It's not because God needs it. God doesn't want your money. God loves you. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you, are you thinking? Don't pack up yet. Let me ask if this makes sense to you. Does it make any sense that a person would say, I trust in Jesus Christ to forgive me of all my sin, give me eternal life, give me the presence of his Holy Spirit, take me to heaven, and I trust him with my soul's salvation, I trust him to keep me out of hell, I trust him to take me to heaven, but I don't trust him enough to give a tenth of my income to him. Does that make any sense to you? It doesn't to me. See, tithing is not God's way of raising money. Tithing is God's way of growing His children. You see, that's what God says. God says, commit your life to me. What God wants is you. Some people, when they got saved and they got baptized, they forgot to take their pocketbook and their wallet with them. They got baptized, but their pocketbook didn't. They got baptized, but they held back some other areas of their life. I read how Constantine in 300s A.D. decided that all the world would be Christian. And he would call, them the world, uh, call all the world Christian because he saw a vision that said, In the cross I conquer. And so Constantine had his whole army baptized. Not because they believed on Jesus, but because he wanted to label them Christian. And... Listen, baptism will never make you a Christian. Water does not make, water's not going to wash your sin-stained soul clean, but the blood of Jesus will. And so if you get baptized without ever getting saved, you're just getting wet. And water's not going to take you to heaven. But one of those soldiers in Constantine's army, when he was baptized, um, he was baptized different than the rest. For when Constantine baptized these soldiers, he wanted them to keep their swords up in the air so that they were battle ready. And so when they were baptized, the only thing people could see were their swords sticking up in the air. Because, again, they wanted them to be ready. But this particular soldier said, if I'm going to give my life to Jesus Christ, I'm going to be baptized sword and all. 
And he took his sword, he took everything, went under the water, showing he was committed to Christ. Listen, what are you holding back from Jesus? Wondering why God's not stepping into your life and meeting with you and meeting your need is because you're holding back something from him. Ladies and gentlemen, you, you and I have been given a very clear responsibility. Jesus said, follow me, follow me. Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6 says it this way. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. Oh, God doesn't want something from you. God wants what he died for. You. You. Paul learned that having nothing did not diminish him at all. Having everything, Paul says, it didn't enhance anything. You could take everything away from Paul, but you could not take his joy away. You could give everything to Paul, but you could not add anything to him. You see what I'm saying? Paul says, my life consists not of what I have, but who has me. Let me ask you tonight, if you're going through stress and pressure from material, finances, who do you belong to? Any place ever in the Bible, any place in the Bible, any place at all in the Bible ever give you the notion that God is in heaven tonight wringing his hands. Any place in the Bible that gives you the impression that God is nervous. No. The psalmist said, so lift up your eyes unto the hills from whence cometh your help. Your help cometh from the Lord. The truth is, if you're a Christian, the greatest blessing in life are already yours. Heaven's your home. God is your Father. He's promised to never leave you, and He's promised to supply all of your need. I want to say this. How green the grass is on your side of the fence. If you have Jesus. Let's stand together, please.